The Anachronic Order and Amnesia Time Loop Tropes. Two tropes for the price of one. Finally, we're talking about the Amnesia Time Loop Trope, right? Did, have a, sorry, uh, this trope is a bit of a double-edged sword because even mentioning that the movie is about amnesia might be in and of itself a twist, so please proceed with caution. Secondly, the Amnesia Time Loop Trope is a perfect fit for this flick. We here on the show are huge fans of Chris Nolan who often uses this trope to tell a compelling story. Did I mention this already? Sorry, anyway, this trope is the perfect recipe for crafting a compelling narrative that could ultimately lead to an unsatisfying experience if the audience knows too much ahead of time. First of all, we want to talk about the Anachronic Order trope. Fans of Chronicles of Narnia love to debate the effectiveness of this particular trope as one can never be too sure how to best get someone new involved in the series. Do you recommend the way it was published, like one, two, then three? Or do you push for the quote-unquote right way of reading it by two, then four, then five, then six, and maybe go back to three? But who's to say? On today's episode of Cinema Gush, we're talking two tropes today, the Anachronic Order and Amnesia Time Loop Tropes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my turn to gush. Welcome to Cinema Gush. Oh my gosh. This, uh, I gotta tell you, man, like when this one popped up and you hadn't seen it and I realized how high it was in my top 10, I was like, is this going to either go really bad or, or really good? Cause I mean, I'll get into this in a minute about what it, what movie it replaced. Um, Cause I was like, yeah, that may probably make sense to be there. But as I continue to reevaluate my top 10 list, I'm like, this is number four. This is a top fiver. It better hold up. And oh boy, oh boy. This, this one at one point in college, wasn't this your number one? Cause I thought you told me that once. It probably was. Um, although I feel like nothing ever beat Back to the Future. But maybe I guess I don't know. Case. But it, it, yeah, it, it certainly it was, was high. Um, it was always number 10 for as long as I could remember. Or at least when, I think I first wrote that top tenor list back in 2008. And that's what I've been modifying ever since then. And I'm up to, I'm up to, I'm up to my top 17. And then my top 11 video games is where I'm at right now. So uh, if anybody has any interest, we could post this at the end of the season just to show you where we're at. But um, yeah, I should do top 10, but it's always so it's always changing. It depends on the yeah. day and the mood I'm in. It's always so fluid. It just has to be. I don't know. But but, but uh, don't leave us in suspense. Tell us. Yes. Your number four favorite movie of all time is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michelle Gondry and written by Charlie Kaufman. Um, and Michelle uh, Gondry? Michelle Gondry? Yeah, he did um, Be Kind Rewind, which I highly recommend. He did Science of no, Sleep, I, I, which I, I don't know. recommend. I just, I've, I've always seen it read, and I've always assumed it was Michael Gondry. Oh, <laughs> oh no, he is wicked French, like super, super de duper French. <laughs> like all the interviews with no, him were just no, like, I, the, yeah. That's like extremely clear in retrospect. I just I <laughs> never put it together. Oh, yeah. Well, no, Be Kind Rewind is a, is a great one. No, yeah. No. All right, yes, but tell me, yeah, okay, so, yeah, yeah. this movie. Yeah, this movie. Where did you first I, see it? I first saw this in Austria in the fall of 2005. Um, we had so like a little. Broad? Yeah, we had like a little movie group that we would watch in the very teeny tiny like movie room with the TV that was probably like, I don't know, 12 inches. It was a small uh-huh. ass TV. But um, we had just watched Garden State the week before and I was utterly unimpressed. Um, <laughs> utterly. So, interesting story. <laughs> I lost my copy of, of uh, Garden State's to my ex-girlfriend when I was in, in Austria and I came oh. back and now we're married, but she still doesn't know where it is. Oh my gosh. She probably burned it. No. <laughs> oh, she man. blames one of our mutual friends for losing it. 
I think I know which mutual friend you're thinking of. I yep, yep, I know who you're talking about now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, this came out. Yeah, no, it was it was good, and uh, and uh, you know, except for one insanely awkward scene, which we'll probably gloss over. uh, I I was floored, and uh, that feeling came up again. When I uh, when I watched it this time, so uh, real quick though, uh, Jim Carrey he was fresh off of Bruce Almighty, which is a top twentyer from me. Uh, he also did the Majestic, so I knew that he had this range. I knew that he had these acting chops, and he was more than just, you know, the kind of slapsticky, dumb and dumber, me myself and Irene, which my mother walked out of, kind of guy. Um, and, and then Charlie Kaufman, I knew from uh, being John Malkovich which I hadn't mm. seen at that point. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I still haven't seen, then Adaptation, which I just thought was so weird. But now that I see what he's going for, like I like it. Um, what else did he do? He did Senecadee, New York, which again was super weird. Which um, I've wanted to see ever since Roger Ebert said it was his best movie of the decade. Oh, um, man. It's, he uh, had a movie come out shortly after the pandemic started. I'm thinking of ending things. Looked really good. Yes, yep. Yep, I haven't seen that one either. And then he did that uh, that stop motion Dan oh, Harmon yeah. one, Anna yeah. and that was really strange. But uh, it looks strange, but also looks right up my alley. It is right up your I alley. Think- like I, when you, once you see what he's going for in the movie, you're like, okay, whoa. <laughs> and the fact that it's all like stop <laughs> okay. motion and claymation, pretty dang cool. I would recommend checking it out again. Okay. There's Kaufman has a thing that. with. Um, with self-pleasure that is just kind of annoying, but, um, but yeah. And then Michelle Gondry, which like I said, be kind, rewind, quite good. Uh, science of sleep, not good. Um, and I haven't really seen much else. He did that show kidding on Showtime with Jim Carrey recently. And I saw one episode of it. We just dropped it, um, after that, but, um, he was a drummer and like a rock band and I just love his, his thought process. He's so incredibly creative and inventive. And one of the behind the scenes things that I read about this was how incredibly difficult it was for the cinematographer to keep up with his vision. Cause I mean, I don't think it was just a language barrier. Like I think he just thinks in a very, very different kind of magical, whimsical way of, of, of doing things. And some of the more unique shots in this movie are done so simply. I can't imagine what it was like to edit this movie. That had to be a trip and a half. Oh, sure. And and there's even like the studio was so unsure. Of, I'm holding up a copy of the script that I have. Uh, the studio was so unsure when the final draft was turned in how this was going to turn out. But they just trusted the process. And I think it was just on the weight of like Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey's name being in it. Um, but the budget was a, a remarkably low twenty million dollars, uh, and it grossed seventy mm. something, seventy five million, I think. Um, Charlie Kaufman won the Oscar for best screenplay for this. Kate Winslet was nominated for best actress for this. Um, and yeah, so that's that's kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff. But for me, again, this is a top tenner. It sits happily at number four. Um, the movie that it kicked out <laughs> was this Japanese movie called Returner, which I saw in college and it blew my freaking mind and uh, has not held up at all. <laughs> is it on your top ten anymore? No, it's probably top fifty because of how creative the ending was. Um, and rethinking the whole film. There's definitely like ripoff moments of the matrix and some really not so great CGI, but I'm, I'm looking at the, the poster. It's, it's got some matrix influence there to be sure. Uh, yeah. I think, didn't you watch it in the dorm with us? I don't have any memory of this. <laughs> I have no memory of this place. That doesn't mean I didn't watch it, but I don't have any recollection of this now. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Uh, but it knocked that movie out and, uh, <clears throat> 
and I was reflecting on it, like, okay, like why, like why was this so high? Why was it always top ten? And then, like, as I started sitting down and watching it, I couldn't even get through the first seventeen minutes without having to like stop and like go do something else for a little bit because, and this is where it comes down to. It comes down to character. I love the science fiction element of this. I love the the mm-hmm. idea that there's a place and and what that place does for as non or for as confidential as they claim to be that they erase people from your memory. And the idea came when Michel Gondry and one and his buddy uh, Pierre uh, Bronin, I think, is that right? I have this in my dang notes. Um, is another screenwriter guy. His name, his buddy, is named uh, Pierre Bismuth. Is his name, and he said, "What if we just started like sending postcards to people, telling them that this person has erased you from their memory, and just see how they react?" Like they just, it was like a fun goof that they wanted to do. This, <laughs> I think he came up with it in the '80s, and then um, uh, they pitched it to Charlie Kaufman, and then he kind of ran like a completely different way with it. Like the first draft of the script is like three thousand years in the future. I think like it's really strange. Um, but they really nailed it down when it came to the love, the relationship, the relationship aspect of it. Um, and that's what really got me and why this is so high is because I feel like I have been Joel for probably half of my life. Like I related <laughs> so well to him. And even as in the opening sequence, when he's doing his, uh, the, the querying of himself and he's talking and he's like, you know, I just work today and Valentine's day was a holiday invented by people, uh, or invented by card companies to make you feel like crap. These are all like, I've thought those things before. And people who have been friends of mine for a long time know that I used to post this F you Valentine's day essay every single Valentine's day. I, I do recall that. Yep. 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 So I used to do that all the time. And you know, I think I'm a hopeless romantic at heart and an old soul and all that crap. But like I I think the first time I saw this, because I was, again, reflecting, I, do, I didn't think movies could be like this. And this was the first time that I had seen a movie that was this introspective, that was this uh, driven by a character who just wanders things, wanders things aloud and is impulsive and, and, uh, and explores like what his feelings are. And I think I was just so taken aback by that that I just didn't know how to feel. And I just felt so, so deeply. And I felt so, I felt so in love with this film. Um, it's hard for me to even think of a movie where I was sucked into a main character harder than this one. Um, I've probably seen this movie 10 times and every single time this exact thing happens. I just, yeah, I get, you get to the, the main title sequence. Yeah. 17 minutes in the main title sequence and you get to that part and I was just like, okay, I got to take a little break. I got to go for a walk. I can't believe how good this is. So, and that's what happened again. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, oh, man. But you had it. not seen this before, right? No, not seen it. This is the first time. Now, I've wanted to see it ever since I knew how much you liked it in college. Because you went to Austria before, the year before I got to college. Yes, that's right. So, in my mind, this was just always one of your favorite movies. Um, it had been on my list. It had been something I'd want to see. And I just... I was kind of excited when you gave me your list to pick from, but I had an excuse because it was time to sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, man. What a treat of a movie, man. This look, this movie shouldn't have worked. Yeah. Like, it really shouldn't have worked. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, man. Like, for in, everything in that they do, hands, it this have. is a mess. Yeah. But yeah. it works like gangbusters. I mean, you're never confused. You know what's going on, and a lot of crazy stuff is going on, and you always can. Conf- uh, I, I think it's brilliant. It's masterful. Yeah, I think, you know, I watched the trailer uh, right before we started the show, and the trailer definitely has that 
uh, indie aesthetic of the late 90s, early 2000s that is so perfectly encapsulated in a Homestar Runner email that Strong Bad Reads called Independent that I will post in the show notes and you all are going to laugh your butts off when you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that I just, I felt so... I felt so in the year that this came out, whether it was the way Mark Ruffalo's hair looked or the fact that everybody had like a certain sh- um, sweater polo outfit or the, the different hair colors were just kind of coming into vogue at that point. It, this movie lives so well in like 2003. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. It really yeah. was a bit of a trip seeing all these characters, actors back then. Exactly. Um, but yeah, we open with this mystery of, you know, Jim waking up and his random thoughts. Um, the greeting card company line, which again, just, I, I love that line. I think that I got that chuckle like right off the bat. And as soon as I hit that chuckle, I was like, I'm in for a good time. Um, he starts the day by ditching work, which he normally doesn't do because he's a non-impulsive person. And we'll later learn he was kind of incepted into even ditching work and going to where he went. But he woke up in a funk. There's pages ripped out of his journal. He hasn't had a first entry in two years, and he doesn't remember that. And this is that that querying of himself and those thoughts. Because you're always taught in screenwriting to never do this. You're, you're always taught to not have – to go inside somebody's mind. Anime does it all the time. Cartoons do it all the time. But you're never supposed to do it in movies. And this movie David lives Fincher, in that melancholic place. Dave, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. David Lynch's Dune is a prime example of this not working. Yeah, exactly. Um, the the Dark Crystal. Gosh, Jim Henson's uh, in the eighties, like that one. Like, there's a lot of the character just like talking out or not talking out loud, thinking out loud himself, and then you're in his mind, and and it kind of slows pace when this stuff happens. But because he's constantly in flux and it's a mystery, and and we he doesn't even know why he's doing what he's doing. You're intrigued and you're interested, and <clears throat> you get to know him so much better. Like. Why, like, how come he falls in love with every woman who shows him even the slightest bit of attention? You know, can he find somebody oh, new when yeah. he can't even stand looking at a beautiful woman? I love that line. Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh. And then, and then what is the first thing he actually says? Is she says hi to him and he goes, sorry. You know, like he's already, like, you get so I didn't so put that much. together. That's the first word he says out loud? That's the first word. Sorry. She's like, I just said hi. You know, like, that was it. <laughs> You know, and then you start with that weird oboe clarinet song, which, by the way, the music in this movie, I'm going to post my favorite song in the show notes that I just often will listen to. It's right when he leaves Clementine's house for the first time, and it's uh, kind of a backwards-sounding song, but oh my gosh, I just love the music in this flick. Um, and then you you meet Clementine, and she's like, do I know you? And we start to meet her, this outgoing, extroverted thing that just talks to an introverted, unsure guy, which... I feel like probably feels very cliche at this point, the very introverted dude, the very extroverted girl, and she's interested in him and he doesn't have to put up much effort kind of a thing. But back then, back then, what, 18 years ago? Back then, that was kind of new. It really was. Uh, You always, you know, the man always made the first move kind of a thing. The girl, like, being interested in the guy first and then her pursuing him thing. Like, that just wasn't super common in flicks, but... um, you know, her, what's her hair color? It's blue ruin, which by the way, is the name of the drink that they later drink at her apartment. Um, and just their conversations. I just loved their conversations so much, uh, in the first 17 minutes of the split, just them talking on the train and, uh, you know, him seeing her walking as he's driving away from the train station and her going for a ride with him. Um, and you get the idea, like, he's not going to come upstairs. He's not going to get a drink. And then boom, cut to him on the couch upstairs. And so apartment. great. <laughs> the editing. I, that was such a great cut. But I, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was weird for me because this is one of those weird movies where it's almost like you get a short film before the movie starts. 
Right. And it's such a strange choice and it works so well. That's a really good way to put it, man. Like if you think about it again, it's the first 17 minutes. I know cause I timestamped it. I keep saying 17 minutes, but this first part works as a short, it works as a great short yeah. film. Cause by the end of it, you know, he hurries back to his apartment, calls her right away. He just got in, couldn't wait to talk to her. And she's laughing. Like you already get such insanely strong chemistry. Cause she has pulled him out of this introverted, quiet, melancholic box and you you already yeah. have like a character arcing at this point. You know, he's already somebody but so different. At the same time, right. I think if you're paying attention, you can watch you can tell she's having an emotional thing going on and he's calming her down and tempering her a bit. And I love watching yeah. that push and pull in that first I mean, it's basically the same length as an episode of a sitcom yeah. before you even get the title credits. Yep. And then, you know, and I, I, before I get to the end of that short, like they go out on the ice. And that is, it's just one of my favorite shots in mm. all of movie history, like full stop period, like them, like on the ice and like them smiling at each other. I just love, and like the, the, the fracture that's there is, you know, and I don't want to go way too armchair psychologist here, but like there's this big old crack in the ice and he's nervous about going mm. on the ice, going to fall in. She slips and falls on her butt. Um, but he still comes over and lays down with her. And then there's just like, I don't know if she was the one who formed that cracker, if it was just there already, but you get the idea that like, it's not a perfect <laughs> sheet of ice. Like there's, there is this crack and these ripples of cracks throughout it. And that's like in the frame. And I just mm. love that shot. It's been my background at work for quite a long time. I Googled eternal sunshine, the spotless mind and randomly got taken to a South park randomly AI generated a uh, picture of Stan and Wendy on the ice. And it's now my cover photo on Facebook. I love that photo so much. That's uh, that is, that was an AI. That's yeah. It says AI generated. So, uh, I mean, it was on the internet. Why would they lie? So uh, hopefully that's true, <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah. And it just, you know, they head back and, and she goes inside to get her toothbrush. And then like, this is when we're drawn in even more to this mystery. It's like we've had this pleasant, like watching this couple fall in love kind of thing, and he's excited and she's excited. And then Frodo Baggins comes knocking on the glass, asking if he can help Joel out. And you, if you didn't see the trailer, which I did not see the trailer before I saw this movie the first time, I was so like, okay, oh. like what is what is that all about? Can I help you? Oh, okay, and then just walks away. Like I'm like, what the hell is this movie? And that's. Mm -hmm. When Focus Features Presents pops up on the screen and we cut to Joel crying in the car and it's just, you know, a day before Valentine's Day and we're just like suddenly jarred out of this lovely love story to find that she pretended like he didn't even exist and was kissing some guy named Patrick, baby boy, you know, in the, the Barnes and Noble uh -huh. desk. And uh, you, you see uh, Tobias Huque and his girlfriend, and they are a terrible couple. Like, <laughs> my goodness, uh, the more like I don't know. I'm sure I picked this up the first time I watched it, but I was like, man, like those two really shouldn't be together. Like he's terrible to her, she's terrible to him. Yeah, no, they're awful. Yeah, and that's when we get into. I don't even want to say the inciting incident, but because the inciting incident probably was them getting together. At least we think, right? Because we're not sure the order of this thing at this point. But we find out that Clementine... Uh, we got to talk yeah, about yeah. that later. because Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But I'm not sure when they wanted you to learn that. Yeah, right. Uh, we will, and we'll I kind of love yeah. it, but I want to talk... Keep going. Yeah. I want, you we'll, tell yeah, me we'll when you the, figured out the order yeah. change. Oh, for sure. Um, and we okay, find out, yeah, going. Clementine has had Joel erased from his memory. And even as that happens, her name gets erased off of that card. And that's... 
a confusing moment. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, what really is going on here? So we get to the office. Mary Jane Watson and the Hulk are there with Frodo Baggins and Carmine Falcone. And that's when we get the real crux of things, right? Mm-hmm. That's when we learn all of the things. No, hold on. Possible. I got to stop you. Okay. That's not Carmine Falcone. That's Carmen Falcone. Fal- Thank you. Carmen Falcone in Batman Begins. Car- Frodo- Carmine was right. But yeah. They- yeah. Because the, the movie's pronounced it differently. Carmel Falcone is from the new one. Keep going. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. It's completely um, dumb. It's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's me hiking on my glasses and being a, a dork nerd. Keep going. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm the dork nerd who pointed out that like literally every, like everyone is now, I feel like everyone now has been in a comic movie in some way, shape or form. Cause that's when I was like, okay, oh, there's absolutely. Mary Jane and then there's the Hulk uh, and then there's Frodo. Now and it's then, just, you know, it's more of a question. Which ones have only been in one comic book movie? Yeah, or who, like, what actor or actress these days hasn't been in one in some shape or mm-hmm. form, whether that be TV or movie? Um, I feel like that list is much shorter now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's when we get to the office, and Joel thinks this is all a joke, but no, it's very real, it's very possible. Um, I love when he, you know, pushes his way through, like, I want to race her too, I'm going to do this too, because she did this to me, how could she do this to me thing? And, uh, you know, he goes back to his apartment, he starts emptying every physical memory that he would have of him and Clementine together. And it's all things that we will see uh, transposed and created and, and through his memory as we walk down his, oh my gosh, as we literally walk down his memory lane. Get out of here. I just thought of that. Oh, I'm so lame. Um, I love that when he's emptying the trash and he almost gets hit by the UPS truck, the driver tells him to wake up. That's our first hint that there's something going on here. Um, oh, and I, I didn't I think, put that together. That's I think that, the subtitles were on, so that's how I heard it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so then, you know, the, the little items get placed on the machine, and we start losing these things, and, you know, Joel has to find these memories, and then we find out we're in Joel's apartment, and, um, you know, Hulk is there with Frodo. And, I mean, it's Stan and Patrick. Those are their names. And so uh, Patrick has like my favorite cringe part of this movie where he's just like, you know, my girlfriend, <laughs> me and my girlfriend, if I tell you I have a girlfriend, I'm just like, I hate you. Like, it's just so ooh, awful. Ooh, like, it's ooh, so ooh. cringe. I just, cause I, I feel, I, yeah. I love Elijah Wood's post Lord of the Rings D bag face. <laughs> Those are good times. Yeah. Right before, um, what was the show with the talking dog? I like oh, that one right. so Wil- much. Wilfred? Wilfred. Yeah. 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 Uh, right around that time. Um, yeah, there's the, the D-bag Patrick. Like, and, and this is where I have to give so much credit to Kaufman. Like, everybody knows these people. I think he did the characters so well, explored the properties of each and the the likeness. Like, I feel like I know a Stan, a Patrick, a Joel, a Clementine. Like, I just know them so well from, like, the small mm-hmm. interactions that we've had with them. The way that Patrick is very... Or the way that Stan is very much down to business and, oh, it's easier if you don't talk about, you know, the, the possessions and things like that. And the way, like, he laughs with um, Patrick about Patrick stealing uh, Clementine's underwear. And, like, that's when things get really kind of not just gross, but weird of mm-hmm. the fact that Joel is starting to, I think, well, he's at that point, he's kind of remembering that this is what's actively going on. And we're just like living in his brain and in his memories. I mean, the, her leg disappearing when she walks away the, the, the night that they broke up the car falling from the sky. Mm. My, I don't know if this is my favorite line in the movie. My second favorite line in the whole movie probably is the perfect ending to this piece of shit story. Like I love that line so much. Um, (laughs) I still can't see 
where they tracked that shot of him running back and forth and where he transitioned to being like on the others. Cause it's a special effect. Right. And they have it Wait, in the shots. So when, so Clementine's walking off, right. And he parks the car and he's uh-huh. running after her and uh, he runs, he runs away from his parked car to go after her. And then all of a sudden he's at his parked car and he turns around and she's walking away. So he runs after her walking away and all of a sudden he's back at his parked car and you keep going back and forth right. and it's the same street. There's, I caught it the very last transition. They kind of do something weird with his body that makes it go back to the car. Um, but that's that effect I, like still held up pretty well. There are so many effects that would have been trivial and easy to do today that I have no idea how they pulled off in 2004, 2003. So there's some really impressive stuff they did with just editing for the most part. Yeah, and I'm totally going to link the behind-the-scenes uh, featurette, which somebody posted nicely on YouTube for free. There's a shot where... Um, he's looking at her and she's already faded and the entire background is faded and the only thing in focus is Joel. That's just them with two PAs holding up a giant piece of like clear paper. Like that's all it is. Well, and they're just walking with the that's, camera. That's, I guess that's it. Is And we've talked about this in other episodes that having those limitations leads to some really clever things that you don't get with just straight up visual effects. And it gave this movie this texture and feel that was wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you really see that come to life and be kind of rewind. Like that is like peak Michelle Gondry with, with just that using the most basic movie. stuff that you have. Um, but yeah, I, I finally caught in that last transition, like where they kind of did because his, his character folds in a weird way. But aside from that point, um, I just love the way that Joel's brain goes and it's just so trippy as all get out. Like the people's faces, mm-hmm. like gradually erasing the antique rocking chair to die in. Um, the, 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 or that was that line. I think is what she said. Is that right? The antique rocking chair to die in. I wrote this down. I don't remember why. Um, I'll move past it. Uh, that the line that he gives <laughs> to her about constantly talking isn't necessarily communicating. Um, are we just that couple in a restaurant that other couples feel sorry for? Like, I've, you know, the personal attacks here are getting really, really heated at that point. <laughs> but I, I just yeah. love, yeah. Um, I gotta gush some more about Patrick because he's such a freaking turd. Like, you know, <laughs> Joel's supposed to throw out all this stuff, and Patrick stole it all, and he's just using that to re-woo Clementine. Such a horrible asshole. <laughs> um no. and and it all comes to roost in a very interesting conspiracy theory way that I will get to later on. But what were you gonna say? No, no, I was just gonna agree with you. I, okay. I, I he he is a total asshole, but I at the same time, I really enjoyed his scenes because I don't know, he's just played so well by Elijah Wood that it's hard not to enjoy and, and root for his comeuppance. Yes. Oh my gosh. You just you just hope that this guy gets crapped on so badly. And he and he does in a very glorious way towards the end, but um you you have this fun in games and very serious moments of like these memories getting erased and these people getting erased and you know, you have this fun of him going back to the office and talking to the doctor and the doctor's, and he's like, am I in my brain? The doctor's like, um, yeah, this, this looks like just the place. Like the way that, the way that we, <sighs> is that the scene that it's all lit by a flashlight? Yeah, I think, I think that's, or it was, um, that was, so that one comes later. This is the time when Joel is going through the objects, but we're already in Joel's mind okay. recently going through the objects and he's talking to the doctor and he's saying the lines the exact same time the doctor said them, but it was that. Right, right, right. And then I'll get some more to this later, but just the way that the doctor, we know we're in Joel's mind and the doctor is saying all the things that Joel wants to hear. Like, yeah, this looks like the place. Like this is your brain. All right. Like he's putting words into that guy's mouth. And it's like, we all do this. 
And there are so many moments in this movie where I'm like, we all do this, but it's such, it's such an unspoken thing that like, you just can't help but be impacted and sucked in even further. Like, okay. So for example, when he's talking to Clementine later on and he's, you know, and you know, you're in his brain and all you are hearing is Clementine talking, but you know, it's him like having her say what he wants her to hear. So every time that Clementine in his mind is like, Oh, I'm sorry about that. We don't know for sure. The real Clementine would say that, but he wants to hear her say it, like almost has to have her say it. And it's like, I feel like when we think about things in our life and scenarios that we go through, we wonder how the other person is going to react. Nobody puts this in a script. Nobody puts that in like a movie until this movie. And that's where I, again, like the first time I saw this, I was just like, wait, you can put that in a movie. Wait, your movie can be about this. Wait, you can do this. Like it was because I had been studying screenwriting and I didn't understand that you could do all of these things that people told you not to do. And it made the, for this incredible experience. And every time, like, mm-hmm. again, every time she says or does something in his mind, it's, it's his subconscious hoping that she would express things this way. But if it played out in real life, we don't know for a fact that she would say those things. Cause even when she like crashes the car, like she's not apologetic, like really at all. She kind of just blows it off. But as we go deeper and deeper as memories earlier and earlier into the relationship, she does apologize to him for stuff. At least we think we, she does in this brain. I've gone way too many layers deep into this particular uh, point of this <laughs> film, but like, but it's such an important thing. Cause nothing had no movie had done what I'm talking about since that film. And I cannot think of a movie that has done stuff like this since, unless it's another Charlie Kaufman movie. Um, even the closest thing, the closest movie that I could get to the vibe of this movie, which is another film that I love, which is probably a top 20 or that I'll add is her by Spike Jones, who Kaufman had worked with in adaptation. And if you think about her, and how Walking Phoenix's character is, and how Joel is in this movie, they're kind of parallels. Like, they're very much the same kind of guy. But other yeah. than her and Eternal Sunshine, I don't see this type of uh, existential, deeper thought, quandaries, uh, things that I saw in this film. And that blew my mind the first time I saw it and blew it again as I watched it now and realized, I don't know any other movie that does this. Ooh, catch my breath. You just bring this up, and and man, I would love to sit down and do a double feature of Eternal Sunshine and Her. Those would be great movies to do back to back. Yes, because they're both Watch kind outside of, in the park. Yes, they're both kind of like melancholic and and about like I don't know, mm-hmm. introverted men that find you know extroverted love. I suppose in a way, like there's there's a genre yeah. to this, and it's not a meet cute. It's more like a meet handsome. Uh, I don't know what it could be, but it's, yeah, that would be an excellent double feature now that you've said it. And the thing is too, um, when I was in LA, I don't want to, you know, name drop or anything, but I saw the, um, I went to this Q and a, and it was all of the Oscar nominated screenwriters for that year, which I believe was 2013 because 12 years a slave won. And John was there talking about the movie. And so was David O. Russell. And so was, um, Spike Jones. And so was a number of other people. And Spike said that movie mm. took him 10 years to do and it shows. And I went right to his director mm. page and he has nothing in production. I was just like, Oh, what's the next thing, man? Come on. <laughs> sure. I know you're working on Jackass four, but what else do you got Spike? Oh my gosh. We need more <laughs> art tours like this. 
And the closest thing I found, and anybody who hasn't seen this will love it, Spike Jones shot an alternate intro to the late show or to the uh, late night with Stephen Colbert. And it's this awesome, like, two minute title sequence that I'm just like, I want more of this freaking title sequence. And I will post that in the show notes as well. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't oh know. I want to see that. Oh my gosh. I'll, we'll watch it after the show before you go. Like I just, and the song is so good okay. and he runs into somebody. Anyway, we're, I'm getting off track, but, um, <laughs> the, 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 anyway, the fun in the games, the things and the seriousness of it all, it really change changes things when Joel suddenly hopes that his memory doesn't get erased and he wants to call things off and he's on his knees on the ice, losing a great memory. And he's just like, I don't want to do this like that. Oh, like it just gets you in the heart so bad. Like, yeah. and, and you really feel like, and I hope that this technology will never ever exist because to go through the journey that he goes through is kind of like, you don't ever want that because you need to remember the good times and the bad times. And you have to put it all into perspective. And I think not that this matters, but like that business was taking advantage of, of like maybe 10% of how people felt about things. Cause as you go backwards through maybe like a recent terrible stream, you're forgetting all of the good and wonderful things that occurred. And that's really what this film does an excellent job of illustrating. Cause as they're erasing well, I mean, things. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I think that's the theme of the movie. It's just, it's, it's, you've got this, I, I feel like it, it, it it zooms in on, on people making bad decisions at their worst times and their worst moments. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the, the, this notion that the bad is important, right? The bad, the bad sucks. You don't want to remember the bad, but the ba- <laughs> you need the bad. The bad is really important. Yeah. It, it's, I, th- I think movies, um, well, there's not many movies like this, but um, a movie like this and a movie like her, uh, has really kind of forced me to like cherish the good times that I do have. Like, uh, I'll get specific. Like I'll wake up in the morning and my dog will jump on the bed and my wife is there and I just, I'll be holding both of them. And I'm just like trying to carve that into my brain so that I never forget it. And like, I also, I will always remember like how good and how close those good times were. Like I genuinely try to live that way because of this film. <laughs> um, and to really like when That's I'm amazing. in a great moment, like to, to try to like, find a way to like to take a picture of my mind and scan it. And I, I keep a daily journal I have since like 2005. And uh, it like, like you say, like you got to have those bad times in there. And I, I see like a, a whole bunch of different bad times, but man, like what, what, I really see a lot of good times too. Um, right. And, and that's important too. I think, I think what I, I got from the movie is that not just the bad times you need, but you need to put them in the right perspective. Yes. The right perspective is, so that you can learn from them and direct yourself to being a better person so you have more good times. Exactly. And that's the thing, too, is we because this is so driven through Joel's first-person first perspective and the way that he views things, you start to think, this guy isn't so bad. She really was just this strange and awful and drunk and always uh, doing things and, uh, you know, are you going to sleep with somebody else tonight, like that kind of stuff. But as time goes on, he's not that great of a cat either. No, you know, he's not. And I, I think that's kind of what, yeah. And, and that we, you know, you're getting an unfair perspective on her. Yeah. And an overly positive perspective on him. And I think the movie makes that clear. And I love that. I, I, I feel like that, that's how you make the more good times is you give people more of the benefit of the doubt. You forgive more. Yeah. And you try to live for others more. And then I think this movie is really exemplary at, 
pulling and teasing that thread out. Yes, absolutely. Um, so again, you get Joel on the ice and he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And you cut straight to Hulk and MJ in their underwear and they're dancing and they're high. And then we get this, <laughs> this chase of Joel seeing that he doesn't want to do this anymore. And he tries to hide Clementine. There's this. So here's another behind the scenes oh, thing, which you'll see if you sequence. in the featurette. So he, he goes to Dr. Mirziak's office and he says he doesn't want to race her. Now this is one continuous shot. It starts on Jim and Kate and he walks, he's like, Dr. Mirziak, I don't want to do this anymore. And it pans over to Mirziak. He goes, uh, Joel, it's, we're already doing it. We can't stop it. And the camera keeps panning. And then there's Jim Carrey, you know, as he looked in that scene, he's all kind of depressed and his head's hanging low. He's not saying anything. And they pan back to the doctor, they pan back to Jim and Kate and they pan, and you know, he's just like, he's like, well, can we stop it? He's like, can I wake up? Can I do anything? And he pans back to the doctor, pans back to Jim Carrey sitting down from that sequence. That is one shot of Jim running back and forth behind the camera, flussing up his hair, sitting down, looking depressed. And as soon as the camera's off him, he's, they tap him on the shoulder. He runs back around the camera, puts the hat on, puts the coat on, and he's back there doing the same scene. That's not a composite at all. It is not. It is one shot. When you watch this, when you watch the behind the scenes, man, you're going to love this movie even more. Cause it's like, Oh, like you don't, it doesn't have to be through. It doesn't have to be a fucking computer every time for CGI. It doesn't, you could do real shots. Wow. I just woke my dog up with that. Uh, it could be real shots in person things like, Oh, I love that. Well, no one's going to talk oh. that. That's so, incredible. Yeah, and I actually I have the time-stamped uh, YouTube link, so I will again that will go in the show notes. Um, but yeah, we see how flawed both these people are, despite the fact that she apologizes for erasing him. You know, again, isn't that just how the mind works? Is she sorry that she that he that she did it first? And he's like, well, that's okay, because and that's just how he thinks that that would play out. But things really take a turn in this movie when she suggests to him that. Uh, he should hide her somewhere where she wouldn't be because they know that how the brain tracking thing works. They, they learned about it in the office. Well, he learned about it in the office and his subconscious is, is querying himself and trying to find a way out of this. And so what does this require him to do? The one thing he wasn't doing the whole time was <laughs> the one thing he wasn't doing the whole movie, which is open up about himself. And he's not opening. Well, he is opening up to her, but he's opening up to his subconscious impression of her and, and again, this is something that he wouldn't do in the movie. There's a, there's one of the memories that gets erased. And she's like, I just show you all of my crap and, and you never show me anything. It's like, it's just not that interesting. So, which, you know, that's not how a relationship works. You got, you both got to tell, yeah. you know, your, your, your dirty laundry and all that stuff. And so he finally starts to do this. And he remembers when he's four years old. And I love that it mentally makes him four years old as well. Uh, Cause small oh, Joel, oh. it's just so great. Like, you know, they, they, uh, it's a, a classic, um, there's actually a name for this technique where everything in the foreground is giant. Everything in the background is small. And so the person looks, uh, or no, everything in the background is giant. Everything in the front is small. They did it in the Lord of the Rings. And so when Joel and Kate are in the exact yeah, same yeah. shot, you know, uh, there it's, there's nothing special about it other than the, the way that they framed it and the way that the, every, the sizes are different. Interesting. Um, yeah, they big build big furniture and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And again, all in the behind the scenes, but, um, you know, at this point we cut out of the mind because that's when he goes off track and that's when the Hulk has to track him down. Uh, and then you have this really interesting moment with Clementine and Patrick because she's kind of having this mental breakdown and she's upset and she doesn't quite know why. Uh, and I do have a conspiracy theory about this, which I will now get into. Um, and I can't find this. I'm, I'm positive. Some other like 
uh, basement dwelling neckbeard fellow came up with this as well. But I think is, is this the theory you mentioned earlier? Uh, what theory did I mention earlier? Remind you, me. You said that we're going to talk about conspiracy theories. Is this yes. The one? So this is my okay. conspiracy theory: is that Clementine did the exact same thing that Joel is doing in his mind in his movie. The difference is that she succeeded in hiding away specific parts of the memory. And here's what I mean. In the beginning of the movie, Clementine's like, I feel like I've seen you before. Do I know you? And he's like, nope. And she's like, yeah, Barnes and Noble, I've seen you, man. And he goes, I would have remembered you, right? And uh, this kind of gets to the big spoilery thing at the very end. But, <laughs> but the idea is this. Patrick, baby boy, douchebag, Frodo, is giving her all of these things that Joel had done through the relationship and saying all the lines. These are things that Clementine, when she had her memory erased, successfully hid away from the erasing process, and it is bringing up into her subconscious why those things are huh. important. Um, I, so, I mean, yeah. I think that's completely plausible. I mean, I... Yeah, I think, I, guess if, I, I think if they did like I, an animatrix of this, like you would go to her mind and she's like, I can't hide you, Joel, but I can hide pieces of you kind of a thing. Well, the, the, the thing is, is I, so this did not that that idea did not consciously enter my mind, but I assume something like that had happened. So I don't know. Yeah. That you're coming out of left field here. I think I think that may have been the intention. Yeah. To well, a certain degree, at least. Yeah, and, and we'll get to this more towards the end of the film because the deja vu for Joel is nowhere near as strong as it is for her. And so my thought is like she succeeded in saving parts of their relationship in her memory. Um, but that doesn't quite answer my when the brain wipe is complete part, but we'll get to that later. Um, and so, yeah, then we, you know, we bring in the doctor again and he's going to try to help Stan track down Joel because Joel's gone off the map and him and Clementine are just like happily in the me- the memory of the the uh, being in the kitchen sink and being bathed. And then we're back to being on the run again. And the car is like gradually disappearing a special effect, which massively still holds up today. The fence mm-hmm. disappearing, yes. getting back to the doctor's office. But now we don't see their faces at all because the deletion is becoming permanent. And so she suggests that they hide in his humiliation. And uh, we can absolutely <laughs> skip that part because man, when that happened with a whole bunch of Franciscan kids, we were, Oh, Oh gosh. Oh, Oh gosh. And I was like, Oh, Oh no. So it wasn't a great moment. And Kaufman has one of those in every single <laughs> movie he's ever made, making this entirely impossible I, to shout my know. spouse. <laughs> As an adult, I thought, wow, he's really nailing home teenagehood. And that's embarrassing, but, yeah, it was honest. I mean, it it was, and that's and that's bit, damn. If you can't, if you can say one thing about Charlie Kaufman, it's that he's honest. Um, and then you get that bet on the beach, and that's another awesome shot. Like that that hiding and that moving and that maneuvering, and uh, mm-hmm. and they had to hide even hurt and further. Uh, man, and this is when we get to that bird in the wagon with the hammer scene, uh, and and it was something oh, yeah. so, it was something so true and hidden that all I could think about was the scene where Joel said, my past isn't that interesting. And that is an an incredibly interesting moment, something that he clearly, you know, has a perfect memory of. And a scene that's played off very well, because especially, and again, I have to think we've all done this, because I know I certainly have, when I think about bad memories, of him going back and being like, wait a minute, I'm a grown man, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And he still gets his arm twisted, and then like she still has to pull him away from the little kids beating up on him. Right, right. you know, trying to play a bad memory different and still not succeeding. Come on, man. Like, just being tough so enough beautiful. to feel like you can look at it without the shame, but then you realize, oh, nope, can't. Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. And I, th- I think, I, I don't know. I don't know if we all have one of those or what, but man, that one just was like, hits you in the heart. And then like the the weird pillow sequence where <laughs> he's trying to like kill her. It's like, oh, there's mom in the window. Hi, we're just having fun. Like cracked up there. Um, and you know, I wrote this in my notes because at, at that point in the movie, I just wanted to stay in Joel's mind forever. But we do have to come out and talk about uh, Mary Jane and Howard. And I think the first time I saw this, I was like, you know, that's kind of a weak thing. But after their arc concludes, I actually find like their troubled huh. fling story to be like kind of sweet in a really ugly way, but also totally necessary. Um, yeah. Until you, yeah. I mean, I don't the like that bit. they had an affair. That's not the sweet part, but it's like, I felt for both felt more for, Okay, um, you could just say Mary Jane. <laughs> I'm just gonna say Mary Jane. Kristen Dunst, yeah, um, character, but no, I, I think that's very necessary to swing home the the theme of the film. Yeah, and it's so much worse knowing that he never had his memory wiped, and he remembers that affair, and he still goes for it with her. Like terrible, <laughs> terrible dude. Um, yeah. And that really kind of unravels. Well, there's a, that brief moment where I thought he was going to be noble, and you realize, Me too. oh no, yeah. that's not what's happening here. And then, and then you find kind of, and this, ha- you know, they call back to this a little bit later that Stan kind of specifically leaves, knowing that that moment is going to inevitably happen again. Um, and you know, you yeah. kind of just see him watching it from the van, and then you know, the doctor's wife shows up and. She, she rightfully slaps the crap out of him uh, and just, you know, to tell the poor girl and all that stuff. And then you realize like, man, I already knew the tech was dangerous because of how it's affecting Joel inside of his mind. But man, it's in the wrong hands, which clearly, you know, for as good of the intention it was of maybe helping people, like the guy clearly was abusing his own invention um, right. and using it to erase all that stuff from her. So uh, then we finally get back into Joel's mind and he, you know, wants to go another round in the bookstore. You know, he wants to try it again. And she tells him to try his best to remember her. And it's an important part because you'll notice when they're in the bookstore, every cut shows less and less of the books on the shelf, indicating the, this gradual erasure. So until they all backwards. Because you don't notice it first. It's so amazing how they draw your eyes. So it's not clear until you realize all the books are blank. When did that happen? And, I went back and watched the whole scene again and watches their fading. Yeah, exactly. There and there and there are so many moments like that in this movie. Like I, I think from what I understand correctly, and uh, if I'm wrong, I'll I'll definitely redact it in a different episode. But I believe they just happened to be shooting when the Ringling Brothers were having a parade, and they're just like, "Holy crap! Get the camera! Let's gotta shoot something here real quick!" Like I believe that that elephant. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that was just like a completely random lucky shot thing, which that's anyone. Anyone who's ever done indie stuff, like, you know that if you can get something that's like a bigger budget item for free, then you do it. There's a story of um, this movie called Cyrus Cyrus with John C. Riley and Jonah Hill, where the Duplass brothers were shooting it for a small budget. And at one point, a helicopter like goes flying overhead. They're like, stop everything. We got to get the helicopter in the shot because then we can say that we had a helicopter in this movie and it'll make the movie look more expensive. Like, that's exactly what they did with the elephants. <laughs> so, well, you know, I think I mentioned this the most recent Venom. There's a bunch of helicopters looking for Venom. And those are helicopters that were actually for the Matrix that was filming in the distance. And what? they just pointed it in the right oh, direction. That's that. awesome. Uh, yeah. And there's one with um, the Coen brothers were shooting uh, their, um, oh, what's it called? What's the movie where the Coens got the Oscar? Um, I shouldn't be blinking on this. 
Because uh, where they uh, do which one? What's the one where the Coen Brothers won the Oscar with Anton uh, Antoine Chigger? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, everybody. Oh, oh, Anton Chigger. Uh, no Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men. So No Country for Old Men was shooting a shot, and I think in the background was like this massive smokestack. Well, that was There Will Be Blood shooting the fire sequence. There Will Be Blood. The, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, do. I love those that. happy little coincidences. They just make me smile. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so there's this moment where she tells him to try to remember that the that sequence disappears, and we get back to the first time that they met each other, which again further proves my theory that she had saved elements of their marriage to be reminded of them later. Because the thing that he says to her is, "Oh, your name Clementine, like Huckleberry Hound, like oh my darling, oh my darling." That's what she says to him right. at the start of the movie. Was the exact same thing that he said to her. Same lines. Because yeah. when she's just like, you know, don't make fun of my name, he's like, I wouldn't even know how to. It's because he. Wouldn't have had that memory to do it, but she remembers him saying that to her. So, um, she he failed to keep it, but she succeeded. Interesting, exactly. So, uh, the music with them on the beach has bits of like backwards time, uh, stuff being played throughout it, and uh, they have that that last memory sequence of I wish you had stayed. And he's like, I wish I'd done a lot of things, I wish I had stayed. And she says, I'm sorry to him. And again, it's all in his mind. Would the real Clementine apologize? I, I don't know. But but this time, mm-hmm. he does stay as it all falls apart. And uh, she says, bye. And he says, I love you. And she says, meet me on Montauk. Now, this is the one thing in the movie that I couldn't figure out where it came from initially. But it's the very last thing that she says to him, which kind of takes us back and we can get to this part because at one hour and 32 minutes and 50 seconds, we start the movie at the beginning. That's where the movie starts is an hour and 32 in with Joel waking up. And honestly, man, that's when I figured out when he woke up the the second time, that's when I understood. And that's when I was like, holy crap in a pita. Like that's when it made sense to me the very first time. I figured it out quite early. And that's I guess why I was wondering. But but yeah. I don't know if it was because of my benefit. I think it may have been because the movie's older and and so here's the thing. I knew the movie came out in 2004, and they spend a lot of time talking about how it's 2002 once we go into his mind. Yes, yes. And good so point. that's how I figured it out. I'm like, and it all clicked in the whole thing. But I was wondering if they wanted you to figure it out early or if it was meant to be a plot twist later. And I I I, I don't it know. It works know. both ways. Because knowing was not a spoiler in any way. It was more like this revelation that was just unpeeling itself as you go. Yeah. So I'm not I sad got... that I figured it out. There's some movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I figured out The Prestige about 12 minutes into it, and I hated the movie entirely. Did you really? Uh, it, it ruined the movie for me. But this one, figuring it out, enhanced it. Wow. Because that's the thing. I'm married to somebody who, like, I'll show her a movie with a big twist ending. And as soon as the movie starts, she's like, I bet you that girl dies at the end. I'm just like, I'll just like stop the movie and walk away. She's like, where are you going? I'm like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You figured it out. It's that episode um, of the IT crowd. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, except she gets around the first time almost every time. Um, That's amazing. But yeah, she says, meet me in Montauk. And I, I don't know where that came from. So that's I and I need to find I, I need to figure that out because I don't know if it was a setup. What do you mean? So so what prompted his memory of her to say meet me in Montauk? Because I just took it as that's where so many important moments in their past were that that would be what he would think is the the 
their relationship kind of revolves around that location. Because I, I, th- I think for me, I didn't realize, like, unless that was the beach. I guess it was the beach, wasn't it? And you that see the beach, the beach house. That's the where beach. they, so I guess that does they make matched. sense. That's, they went back multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, because even if it was like a deus machina thing, like, I could still live with it. But I was just trying to sort and understand, like, why specifically did she say that? But now you're right. Like, that was the header on the train station in the beginning. And that mm-hmm. is where the house was. And that's where the beach was. Okay, so that makes a little bit more sense. All right. All that's my read of it. I could be wrong about that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the last thing that happens in his memory is, uh, David Cross's character saying, yeah, who was that? Who was she? And he says, just a girl. And then it's all gone. And the racing process is Mm. over and they all pack up and leave. And suddenly we're back at the beginning. I think it was the door shutting on Stan's van that wakes him up in the beginning. And that's exactly where we get to at this point in the movie. Um, but this time, you know, we jump away to, uh, Mary and Stan. We, we kind of skip past all the, you know, the, the courting stuff in the beginning. Uh, and we fade to Clem grabbing her toothbrush and Patrick knocking on the window. And man, this is when, you know, Kirsten's character having sent out all the cassette tapes really comes, you know, into play because this couple who, if you literally just took the first 17 minutes of the movie and cut into it right at the very end, you're like, what is this cassette thing? What's this mystery? And uh, the replaying of those tapes was so nasty, so oh, awful, really ugly and humiliating and gross and sad and, man, so perfect as well. Because there is yeah. no perfection at all in their relationship. And all it was was her remembering that 10%. I, I just think it really speaks to how easy it is to see the worst in others and the best in yourselves. And I think hearing that said out loud really... I don't know, it just punctuates the whole movie. It's like you felt like they learned and they grew, and then you have their worst moments thrown back at them in audio form. Yeah, and it's it's all a mess. All relationships can be a mess. Everyone's mess is just a different looking mess. Your mess might look like a family room full of a bunch of crap, and somebody else's might look like a basement with a bunch of garbage. Like everyone's got a different mess in a relationship, and and that's like her kind of airing the grievances of what she hates about him was kind of, again, ugly and terrible, but also perfect in its own way. Because if all you ever focus on is the bad stuff, then of course, like that's the stuff that's going to come up and, and you're really going to sure. live with and not forget, you know, you're going to remember all the, forget all the good stuff, I guess, but Oh, that ending. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then just not giving people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you know, I'm just, yeah, I, no, I, I just, I, I'm at, I'm at the great. end here. Cause that's just like, man, that ending, you know, you will think of things and I'll get bored and feel trapped. And he just goes, okay. And she just goes, okay. And the script that I have, there's nothing after that. It's literally, <laughs> it literally just says, uh, yeah, Joel, there it is. Joel. Okay. Clementine. Okay. Nothing. There's no, the end. There's no fade out. There's no, oh, it does say the end. Never mind. But that's, um, but that's it. There's nothing <laughs> after that. And they both kind of cry wonderful. and laugh in that hallway. And I think it's because they both know that what they had was meant to be. Because damn it, they somehow found each other again. Perfect film. 10 out of 10. End of story. I, oh my gosh. Like, I just love this movie. So damn well, good. Oh. But I, I don't even think meant to be is... is I, like, I get what you're saying. But I, to me, it's even better because it's like they recognize through forgetting... All this stuff, they recognize how bad they've been to each other and how all these expectations mm-hmm. of the other person while not just being trying to be better themselves and kind and and vulnerable and trusting. I mean, I, I don't know. I 
I think it's so much more than just it's not fate. It's uh it's uh it's this this recognition that we are broken people and that's okay and why don't we be broken people together because we're pretty good at it. Exactly. Uh, and and they're very good. good at it. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, again, just awesome. I just I loved they it all from start to finish. They, they fill in each other's weaknesses. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They 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 really, you know, that's what a complimentary thing of it is. It's not it's not two perfect people meeting each other at a perfect moment. It's two imperfect moment or two imperfect people meeting at a moment that just triggers I think this some this this something spectacular that we call love. And I, I, I think the movie encapsulated that so well with a super cool science fiction bend to it. Uh, great acting all the way around just, and, and the special effects and the behind the scenes stuff. And I just, just freaking love this movie, man. <laughs> Ooh. Yep. It's, great. Oh. it's great. I really enjoyed every minute of it. I'm super thrilled that we got to do this one. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. And this is one that I have physical copy of and I have a, a, an MP4 version of it as well, just in case something ever breaks with the, the physical copy, which is this nice little like silver focus feature special edition thing with like an extra disc full of a whole bunch of like fun stuff. And, and that's that. And that's, that's my gosh. I, I, I can't, I just love Eternal Sunshine. It's rated R, but if you haven't seen it, uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's, 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 if you watch it, you'll it's understand lovely. me in a very deep and interesting way. <laughs> that's so, that's so it's stupid. a lovely movie. Yeah, no, I I I get it. I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I couldn't recommend it more strongly. Yeah, and I'm so. terribly sorry about the lag. I keep talking over you. No, it's all good. It'll all cut together so nicely. As it turned out, the lag was 100 my fault, and I have corrected it moving forward. Imperfect, much like the movie is perfectly imperfect in its perfect way. I'm gonna stop going for the well, deep. <laughs> should we? Uh, should we do some numbers? Yes, please. Or do you have more gushing? Have you gushed out? I have gushed out. I did this movie from top to bottom, and uh, yeah, again, like just see it if you haven't seen it. It's, I think it is Charlie Kaufman's best movie easily. Um, <laughs> yeah, adaptation is is just good and fine, but yeah. Pick a number between one and two. 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 Okay. Now pick a number between three and four. Uh, four. Okay. Now let's do. I'm I'm splitting the screen. I'm, this is this is making sense in my head. I'm like, all right. Now I want one through six. Five. Two, three, four, five. Oh, this will be fun. Okay, now I need another one through six. One. All right, our person today is location assistant Cat Donahue. Cat, fantastic. Cat Donahue. Let's see. Location assistant for a lot of movies. Okay, so Okja, Money Monster, Daredevil, Amazing Spider-Man Two. Whoa. Ooh, Sex in the City Two. Spider-Man Three. <laughs> Spider-Man Two. Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, so the movie right after this one that she did was Spider-Man 2. Um, it looks That's like she does cool. a lot of New York location scouting. So, yeah. That's, you know, I, I know somebody who just, uh, who used to work at Focus Feature for years. I wonder if this guy actually knows this person. That would be insane. I'm waiting for that day out. to happen. Yeah, Kat Donahue. Yeah. Kat Donahue. Dang. Looks Kat, like your locations good, were brilliant. I loved, like, yeah. the flea oh, so market and... Oh, that's another good one. 
Oh, and and last week's uh, most disliked movie, Lord of War. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh, oh, and she worked on Dave Chappelle's Block Party, which I believe was directed by this director. It wasn't Spike Jones. Michelle Gondry. Wow. There you go. Look at you go, cat. Full circle. We all right, go full so circle. I didn't get three movies that you dislike before we start. So um, maybe you should give all three just verbally and people can listen. And I'm very unprepared today. Uh, <laughs> and they can all just wonder how you could hate those three movies and what, what's wrong with you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, three movies. Um, let's go with Attack of the Claw. You know what? Let's just do the three prequels. Let's just do the first three Star Wars movies. <laughs> Huh. You know we're going to be gushing about one of them in like a month. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> no, that's fine. Let's do it. You don't have to like every movie we gush about. That's Let's true. That's true. Um, that's true. I'd like you to s- I d- say something nice about... I'm going to pick the one I think it... Well, no. Because we're going to do Star Wars ranking. We want to save that. Some Some drama. Say something nice about Attack of the Clones. You know, NSYNC was almost in that movie. That's not a nice thing. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> um, the, holy crap. You know what? The first time Yoda fought Count Dooku, I was like, Holy crap. And he was jumping everywhere. He was wielding that lightsaber. And it was kind of nice to see something so different. Because, you know, Yoda was always a legend. And you're not sure why he was a legend. He always knew stuff. And he was always old. But, man, when he fought with the lightsaber, I'm sorry. That freaking rocked. And I still think that's one of the best moments of that whole movie. Is when he's just fighting with uh, Dooku. And he's, like, using the Force so easily without, like, straining himself much. Like... That sequence is still pretty damn awesome, all things considered, with that movie. That moment at midnight, opening night, the theater lost its, just just lost its shit. And it was one of my favorite moments in the theater. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I like sand. It might be coarse and it might be rough, but, you know, there's good parts about it, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm happy the movie (laughs) gave us those memes. So right there. Worth it. Yes, indeed. I'm pretty much a Star Wars apologist. I've got things to like in almost every single movie, the least of which being the most recent one. Um, But that's another (laughs) conversation for another day. So I mean, nothing um, can top the Last Jedi. I mean, just that movie's a work of art. That's a good movie. People should check that movie out. That's a dang good movie. But now it's your turn, sir. And here's the surprise twist that you weren't expecting with this movie. I'm gonna need you to pick a number between one and one hundred and one. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, 26. 26. And when I, and when you can hear the sound of me turning pages, you just say stop whenever you want. This is basically how I did the IMDb scroll. Uh, now. Okay. So, I mentioned at the beginning of the season, I wanted to start doing an episode called How Have You Guys Not Seen This Yet?, and so I have mm-hmm. this book here called The Greatest Movies Ever. It's a top 101 best films of all time. And so Ooh. we have a choice. 
And I'm going to give you the choice, good sir, because are I these movies we're going to watch and talk about? Yes. We're, oh, we, this I'm is guessing, a great idea. Yeah, because I'm guessing we both have not seen it. And the fact of the matter is, we landed on two movies that we have, I have not seen, and maybe you have. But you tell me uh, if you have seen Paths of Glory from 1957. I think this is. Is this Stanley Kubrick? Kirk Douglas is the lead in this. Directed by directed and written by Stanley Kubrick. Paths of Glory. Hey, or seen, I you think, said number no, I may have seen Paths of Glory. Okay, and you said number 26. Oh, Paths of Glory is good. If it's the one I'm I thinking have, it is. Okay. 26 oh. is Goodfellas. Have you seen this? I have not seen Goodfellas. No, I have never seen Goodfellas. Okay, so my so wife you, has seen Goodfellas. It's one of the few movies that she's seen that I haven't. I know. I the only thing I really know about Goodfellas is one dumb fact, which is the fact that they had uh, Robert De Niro didn't like the feeling of fake money in his hands, so they had to keep withdrawing like two to five thousand dollars so he could have real money while working on the scenes. They had real money, and they <laughs> would stop shooting until they had all the money back in their possession because it was like the DP or a production assistant that kept withdrawing the money, having to deposit it again every day. So that's all I know. But, um, but you think, okay, so you have seen Paths of Glory then. Okay, well we can do. That said, okay, yeah, but I own Paths of Glory. You should come watch it with me sometime because it's, 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 I can't believe I forgot which one it was, but it's probably my second favorite war movie. Okay, then we will say that for that. Let's do Goodfellas. Great. When do you want to do it? Uh, in a couple episodes from now, I'm just going to write it down. Goodfellas. How have we not seen this yet? Because a lot of people say this is Scorsese's best. I, I think The Departed, the first time I saw it, I was so jarred by it. I didn't care for it. But the second time I was like, okay, this movie freaking rocks. But, um, gosh, this would have been, because Scorsese has recently done. his most fun. I think Silence might be his best, but it is painful to watch. Yes, yes, it is. And Goodfellas is, is uh, incredibly difficult. Wolf of Wall Street is very good, but also very difficult. He likes to make mm-hmm. difficult movies. Difficult, difficult. His, his, uh, his motto, one for them, one for me. And boy, oh boy. That's, yeah, and we could actually, we could probably talk about him more with the recent, like, the crapping on Marvel stuff, which I think will be fun. So, okay, Goodfellas, a couple uh, episodes from now. Can't believe we haven't cool. seen Sounds that. Sounds great. Can't believe it. Um, Great. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what have you been watching lately? What have I been watching lately? Um, you know, I, I've been watching and reading and listening to a bunch of things, but I want to tell you guys um, that I got kind of a, I don't want to say once in a lifetime thing because it has happened once before in a different scenario. But this past week, Mr. Kyle P. Peterson and I got to watch our an episode of our show, Long Walks on the Beach, yeah. on the big screen. And, uh, it was, uh, I, this has happened once before, uh, Joe, who's been on the show and will be on, on the show again soon. Um, him and myself, uh, Seth Coulter and Lily Hannah, we all worked on a 40 hour film, uh, festival contest and we took ninth and we got to watch our movie, our short film play on the biggest screen in Arizona, which was super cool. Um, but this was different. This was like something that took a lot of time and a lot of years and a lot of effort and a good mm-hmm. amount of money to to make and produce. And we got recognized as emerging filmmakers. Uh, and it was just, it was really cool That's to wonderful, man. watch the episode 
And uh, we paneled, like we did, like we came up and it was, I'll call it a panel because that's kind of what it was. Like we came up afterwards and we answered questions from the audience and from the moderator. Yeah. And so that was, that was just something else. Um, And I learned a lot watching it on the big screen. And there are moments where I cringed and moments where I just like my heart would not stop beating. Uh, People laughed at all of the perfect moments. Like there was one moment that didn't get as strong of a laugh as I thought it would. And one moment where one dude was laughing at a very inappropriate moment, but um, (laughs) all the jokes that like Kyle and I wrote for that episode, like they landed super well, the twist landed super well. Uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm writing a blog post right now on my website, nickwrites.net, And uh, it's going to be, it's not posted yet. Although maybe by the time this episode comes up, it will be, it won't be. But I'm writing my uh, top five things that I learned from uh, creating my first web series. And uh, one of them is all about audio. And that was where I was kind of cringing because we had had, you know, somebody was going to help us with audio. Someone was going to help us fix stuff. And then they never showed up. And so we had to do it all of ourselves. And it was a huge learning experience. But, like, I'm still so freaking proud of that series. And I I loved that moment. And I'll remember that for a long time because it was, like, a big deal, you know, and to get applause and everything. Yeah. That's really cool. So yeah, I'll just I'll just talk about that and then you know we'll talk about other stuff next time. But that was that's what I was watching was my own stuff on the big screen. So what about you? That's sir? that's incredible. I've been doing a bunch of cartoons. I love animation. So this is one. Okay, so I guess I've been wanting to talk about this one forever, and I keep forgetting. So since last September, I've been talking about this. But I'll, have you seen any of the? And I want to say new, but they've been coming out for like nine years. Hmm. The recent Mickey Mouse cartoons? A couple. Uh, Yes, I have seen a couple of these. Um, There was like a kind of a Mickey Donald Goofy show maybe a couple of years ago that I've only seen because like they were doing Kingdom Hearts references to it. But the newer stuff, the newer like kind of callback to the hand drawn. Oh, man, those are fun. The, the the Chris the Chris Diamantopoulos I can, I have no idea his name you know the actor you recognize the actor he plays Mickey Mouse the ones that he's been making with um who's the guy who runs the Paul Ruddish these are the best uh, slapstick cartoons since Looney Tunes they're just there's there's nothing else like them out they're the best they're the best Looney Tunes cartoons since classic Looney Tunes they're incredible. I, I stumbled upon them while we were waiting the night before we went to Disneyland in September. My wife was taking a shower and we're in the Disneyland Resort and they have a channel playing nothing but these. And I was just <laughs> floored with how good they are. And so I've been watching them with the kids ever since then. They're incredible. They're just incredible. This is the uh, wonderful world of Mickey Mouse. Yeah. So the first one's Mickey Mouse TV series just called Mickey Mouse, right? And then they okay. did another one. They're the same thing. That doesn't change. I think maybe they go from twelve minutes to fifteen minutes. That was the only thing that changes. Um, but they're hand animated. Uh, they're usually theme based. Like the some of the stories have characters continue, but some of them they'll just pick a random time period and random place in the world. And I, one of the best things about them is so they'll be ancient egypt and they'll all speak egyptian and then they'll be in venice and they'll all speak italian and in the normal voice the exact same voice but it's like like wally it's almost like a silent film where you don't have to speak the language you know what's happening it's just so vibrant in the way that's awesome 
The reason I finally thought to bring up how much I love these is because I've been watching Cuphead with the kids on Netflix. Oh, how is that? It's great, man. It's crazy. Oh, good. I've been wanting to play that game for so long because it's like Contra with cartoons. Me too. Oh, but yeah, awesome. they really capture that that look of of uh, like golden era. I mean, pre golden era. The, oh, the very first animated cartoons with the. Uh, the rubber hose animation and it's just it's, it's yes really awesome yeah, so. you know since you mentioned cartoons That's my little brother movie. asked me if i've ever seen the show bluey have you seen bluey oh we're a big bluey family oh peppa was, my first kids were peppa kids i'm much more inclined to like bluey it's it's funny but it's also much sweeter it's i really think it's a it's a very endearing cartoon I watched Peppa Pig a lot with my nieces and just, I loved like the writing eventually got more and more like winky to the adults, not in a sexual way, just like the, the humor. Oh um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and then Hilga, uh, Hilga, all oh, that's so beautiful. Like Hilda? that shows yeah. awesome. Hilda. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, great I'll have to... on the same one. Great kids show. If you can find it, it used to be on Netflix. It's not anymore. It's Sarah and duck. That's one of those shows that you can turn on and the adults don't need to watch it. It's not really as funny for the adults, but it is quiet. And, calming <laughs> and completely uh it, it's one of those shows that you can turn it on and ignore it and not be annoyed at the sounds coming out of your tv because it's great that's terrific awesome well shoot uh thanks for joining me on this journey uh to my number four i think we've done one two three four and haven't hit number five but yeah we've hit <laughs> four of my top five films of all time that's awesome fantastic yeah. I, I'll come up with a list for me something. Yeah, and we'll have to pivot the video games as well. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. Hope you have uh, a wonderful, marvelous day, and we will see you in the next one.